the kind words. Get your Bibles open to Numbers chapter 32. Numbers chapter 32. I know how it is when you come to church expecting to hear from the preacher and then find out he's gone. It's never the same. Doesn't matter who fills in, it's just never the same. And I apologize for that, but there's good reason for him being away tonight. And uh, But the Lord is the one who blesses, right? So don't let that little fact discourage you into thinking that you can't hear from the Lord tonight, okay? Because you certainly can. Not because of me, but because of him. And because we're going to try to look in his word and get what he has for us tonight. Numbers chapter 32. There's a lot of hard words in this passage, so I'm going to pronounce them in southern Mississippi. Okay, Numbers chapter 32 and beginning at verse 1. Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of cattle. And when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that behold, the place was a place for cattle, the children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spake unto Moses and to Eleazar the priest and unto the princes of the congregation, saying... Adaroth and Dibon and Jazer and Nimrah and Heshbon and Elielah and Shebam and Nebo and Beon, even the country which the Lord smote before the congregation of Israel is a land for cattle, and thy servants have cattle. Wherefore said they, if we have found grace in thy sight, let this land be given unto thy servants for a possession, and bring us not over Jordan." Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this opportunity you've given me and for uh, the Word of God and what this passage of Scripture has done in my heart and my life. And Lord, as I try to convey it tonight, I pray that you would speak to our hearts as only you can and give us what we need in this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The children of Israel had come out of the Egyptian bondage some 40 years prior to this passage. Their whole purpose was that of going to the land that God had promised them where they could serve and worship Him. When they came out of Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea. And God did miraculous things, we know, in parting the Red Sea, and they walked across on dry land. Millions of people going across on dry land. And once they got across and the Egyptians pursued after them, God miraculously closed the sea back up and the Egyptian army was drowned. What a deliverance. They were brought to the edge of the promised land rather quickly. Twelve spies went in to spy the land, and they came back, and ten gave a poor report, saying, we're not able to go in and take this land. But two, Joshua and Caleb, said, we're more than able to do so. Let's go get it. But they would not go in. Because of that, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until that generation had died off. God used various means to get rid of them, to make his word come to pass. Korah's rebellion, remember where the earth opened up and thousands of men, were people were killed because of that. 
You remember their rebellion and speaking against uh, Moses and the fiery serpents were among them and many died because of that plague. Various ways that God brought about over the course of those 40 years of that generation dying off. But during those 40 years, God provided, as he always does, manna from heaven, a cloud by day to guide them, protect them from the heat of the sun, a fire by night to guide them, provide heat and direction. As that generation began to die off, they were beginning to face some battles, and they fought some battles before they ever crossed over into the promised land. Battles with the Amorites and the Moabites. In every place they went, they won. Every battle they faced, they won because God was with them. And now they are on the edge of the promised land. We get to chapter 32 of Numbers. The 40 years of wandering are over. They've come to an end, and the second generation was ready to make their entrance into the promised land. God had given them a leader in Joshua. He had laid out his law and instructions on what they're to do once they go in, and now he wants to give them the land. There's no doubt about it. God's desire was to give them this land, and it was going to be a place of God's blessing. We skip ahead a little bit when they go actually go in and spy the city of Jericho. The two spies go to Rahab's house, and in there she gives this testimony in Joshua chapter 2. She says to the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, that your terror has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you, for we've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what he did to the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sion, and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our heart did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. So this was the view of the people who were living around the children of Israel right before they were to cross over the Jordan River and go into Jericho and win that battle and start taking possession of the promised land. But before that happens, we have chapter 32. An odd request is made by a couple of the tribes, and we just read about it. And it strikes me as being odd, and if you don't really stop to think about it, you can just read right through it. And here we see in this whole chapter, and I'll just kind of as a way of introduction give you an outline of the chapter and just mention a few things in it before we really get into the message. But in verses 1 through 5, we have their request. We just read it. I'll not reread it. A lot of hard words in there. Uh, we won't reread it. But here's what they said. They had made a request and they, they came, and we'll look at a, a few little things here. But they had fought a few battles and conquered a few pieces of land. And, of course, people were living there. They were living there for a purpose and a reason. And the tribe of Gad and um, uh, Reuben were cattlemen, and they had a very great multitude of cattle. And I like what verse 4 and how they say it and how they word it. They say, even the country which the Lord smote before the congregation of Israel 
is a land for cattle. And it's like, and hey, we got cattle. <laughs> Isn't that a miracle? Wow. It's a perfect place for cattle. And we have cattle. This is our place. This is our land. I can't imagine that going across Jordan River, there's going to be anything any better over there. But that's what they were saying. But let's back up and think about what they were saying. The land that they were willing to stay in and settle for was not the land that God wanted them to have. The land he wanted them to have was across Jordan. They asked that they could have that land as their inheritance and not be required to go over Jordan and take possession of land over there. They wanted to stay where they were and not to go forward. And this is all right right here. They wanted that land and they were willing to sacrifice the land that God had promised them for the land that they were dwelling in. I see problems with that. Then in verses 6 through 15, we get the rebuke. It's coming their way from Moses. And Moses is a little upset at them and said, Unto the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war and shall ye sit here? And wherefore discourage ye the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord hath given them? Thus did your fathers when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up into the valley of Eskel and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel that they should not go into the land which the Lord had given them. And the Lord's anger was kindled the same time. And he swore, saying, Surely none of the men that came up from Egypt from twenty years old and upward shall see the land which I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. And I mean, he lights into them. He says, you are doing the very same thing and making the very same mistake that your fathers did. We could turn back to Numbers chapter 13 where Joshua and Caleb and the other ten men whom we don't know the names of ran in. Well, you do in the Bible, but we can't remember them, right? Uh, they all went in to spy the land and look at it and come back and Tim gave a bad report and Joshua and Caleb gave good reports. He says, you're doing the very same thing that your father did and it was because of that that we wandered in the wilderness for these past 40 years and that's why we had the plagues and that's why we had the Korah's Rebellion and all of these things that were going on over the past 40 years. We have been wandering around making no progress in our life and in God's will, because of what your fathers have done, and now you are doing the very same thing. What a rebuke. And then we see their response, beginning at verse 16. And may I just tell you, it's not the response you would expect coming from Moses rebuking them. You would think, here's the right response. The right response would be to acknowledge that I have been foolish in thinking of doing that, and it would be a sin. And Moses 
describes it as a sin down in verse 23, telling them that if they're not going to do it, be sure your sin will find you out. We know that's a very famous verse. This is what he's talking about. So it would be a sin. But they do not come back in repentance. They come back making a deal. Their response is not that of repentance. They came near, verse 16, unto him and said, We will build sheepfolds here for our cattle and cities for our little ones, but we ourselves will go over or go ready armed before the children of Israel until we've brought them under, under their place, and our little ones shall dwell in the fenced cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return unto our houses until the children of Israel have inherited every man his inheritance. For we will not inherit with them on yonder side, Jordan, or forward, because our inheritance is falling to us on this side, Jordan, eastward. They were determined to get that land. And nothing that Moses could say or do was going to convince them otherwise. And they said, we'll build things right here. We'll leave our families here. We'll go across Jordan River and we'll fight over there and then we will come home. Do you realize what they were willing to do just to get that land? They're going to be separated from their families for quite a while. They're going to fight battles but never enjoy the spoils of victory. And they are going to miss out on what God really wanted them to have. So they could get what they thought was going to bring them satisfaction and pleasure. They knew better than God. Boy, I'm glad we're, we're past that. Aren't you? Uh-huh. I've never got caught up in any of that. If you... Oh yeah, we have. We often do. How many eternal joys have we forfeited because of our temporal choices and compromise? They got what they wanted but lost what God had for them. God gave them what they wanted, but it had consequences with it. Psalm 106 verse 15 speaks of that previous generation and it says that He, God, gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. In other words, He gave them what they requested, but they did not enjoy it, and it did not bring fulfillment. May I tell you that the only things that bring joy and fulfillment and satisfaction are the true blessings of God? So that's the background to this passage of Scripture. And the introduction's long, but if we had a title to the message, the title would be, Where's Your Glasses? Where's your glasses? And you'll understand in a moment. Three aspects of this story I want to share with you. First of all, the problem. The problem explained. What is the problem with these people? Their whole generation before them came out of Egypt, saw the miracles and wonders of God. And they even saw the miracles and wonders of God, of, their, of God's provision and protection and victory in battle. But yet they became enamored with the land just before getting into the promised land. They had spent 40 years wandering 
following God so they could get to the promised land. And now on the edge of it, they're willing to sacrifice that so they could have what they saw there. What was their problem? I think we can find it in verse 1. Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of cattle. And when they saw the land, when they saw the land, what led up to this, I believe, in verse 1 is that they saw the land. How many times in Scripture do we find places where people looking and seeing started their downfall in a track that would destroy their life? Eve in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. It all began when she saw the fruit. What about Lot in Genesis chapter 13 and verse 10? And Lot lifted up his eyes and behold all the plain of Jordan, very close to this area in Numbers 32, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. What about Achan? The battle of Jericho. When he was found out, Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them. Behold, they are hid in the midst, in the earth, in the midst of my tent, and the silver under it. It all started when he saw it. What about Samson in Judges 14.1? And Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and told his father and his mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore get her for me to wife. He goes on to say that she pleaseth me well. What about David in 2 Samuel 11? It came to pass in the evening time that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. We could go on and on and on through Scripture after example after example of people who got off track because of what they saw. And generally there's three areas that get Christians off track, what we see, what we think, and what we feel. And many times they're interconnected. But here the children of Gad and Reuben saw the land and it appealed to them and they wanted that land. They were willing to settle for the land that was perfect in their eyes for them. They could not see the goodness of God that lay ahead was far better than the goodness they were enjoying now. How could that be? You know, we certainly have a problem with our vision. But we don't realize it most of the time. Even Christian people, even spiritual people are plagued by spiritual blindness 
are by seeing things from a human perspective and not God's perspective. First Samuel chapter 15, Samuel's told to go anoint the next king of Israel and he goes, it's going to be among the sons of Jesse and he calls Jesse to the sacrifice and all of his sons come. And he sees the eldest come by and he says, surely the Lord's anointed standing here. This has got to be him. We know his rebuke. We're very familiar with it in 1 Samuel 15, 7. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. Did you get that? God says, I don't look at things the way you look at things. And if you are living your life based on how you see things, you are going to be in trouble. The Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance but the Lord looketh on the heart. So we see the problem. Secondly, I want us to see the practical examples. I can still remember, it's been some years ago, shortly after uh, my wife and I were married. I think we had uh, Dustin, our son, was uh, just an infant. And I believe we had Bethany. I don't believe Kristen was born yet. And my eyes... We're getting worse. And I could really tell it at night. Uh, driving and uh, going, and I was very busy at the time and worked in the evenings and driving and lights, and it was just really bad at night. I am nearsighted. The further away it is, the more blurry it becomes, and I cannot see it. Up close, I can see fine. And so I needed to be able to see. It was getting bad. I could not see the signs on the road. I couldn't see far off. And, you know, I just like, boy, I've got to do something. And so I went and uh, went to an optometrist. And, you know, I got in there and they put those little things up there, you know, and turn those dials, click, click, click. And uh, can you see this? Yes. And read it off and say, click, click, click. Is this better? No. Click, click, click. Is this better? Yes. Click, is that better? No. Is this better? Click. And uh, they work all that out on both eyeballs and, you know, they write a prescription for you and send off and get glasses and come in. They give me a call and I go down to pick them up and I can still remember getting those glasses and going out to my car, putting them on for the very first time. And going, Wow. Wow, driving down the road. I can see that sign. Hey, Tracy, can you see can you read that sign down there? Do you see that? What it says? The things that I could not see clearly, I could now see. Because I was looking at them now through corrective lenses. Lenses that corrected my vision so that I could see it clearly for what it was. 
I still remember it. It's an amazing thing. Thank God for good eyesight. But spiritually, we're the same way. We need our vision corrected. Judges ends with one of the worst times in human history, I think, recorded in the Bible as far as sin and degradation is concerned. And it tells us in two places, Judges 17.6 and Judges 21.25, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. You see, in living the Christian life, it's not what we see with our physical eyes. It's not what we see with logical eyes or eyes of reason. But it should be through spiritual eyes, the eyes of God and how He sees things. It's amazing that 12 spies went into that promised land and they walked over the same terrain. They physically saw the same Things. They saw the blessings of God, the fruitfulness of the land. They saw the people who lived there. But coming back, they had a different perspective. The ten spies looked at it from man's point of view through that of logic and through that of reason and through that through of what they physically saw. The height of their stature they talked about. And how they were giants and how compared they were just grasshoppers. But Joshua and Caleb came back. They said, hey, we're, we're well able to take it. God has given it. They're putty in our hands. Let's march in and get it. Ten spies were looking at it from a human point of view. But Joshua and Caleb were looking at things through the corrective lens of God's promises. And they could see it clearly. Hmm. What about Job and Ms. Job? We don't know her name in Scripture, but they went through the same trials. And it got to one point that Ms. Job just got so frustrated and said to Job, Curse God and die, Job. It's not worth it. And he said, no way. I'm not going to do that. Why? They went through the same things. They suffered a lot of the same hurt. They experienced the same pain. Went through some of the same trial. But one was willing to continue on and be faithful to God and retain their integrity. The other was willing to forsake it and go on and just find some relief somewhere. What was the difference? One was looking at it from a human perspective and the other was looking at it through the corrective lens of God's Word and God's promises. The same could be said for the two thieves on the cross. One condemning Christ, the other seeing Himself as He truly was and seeing Jesus as He truly is, the Savior, and saying, remember me when thou art come to the kingdom. So we see some practical examples. Let's look real quickly at some principles examined in the Scripture. Turn, if you would, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 
2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter four and verse number eight. Second Corinthians chapter four and verse number eight. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Skip down to verse sixteen. For which cause? We faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And doesn't end there. Notice verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. We're supposed to be able to see what's not there. We're supposed to be able to see the unseen. I mean... We need Superman, x-ray vision, uh, I don't know, what, what does it take, huh? It's not going to be these eyeballs that sees that. How are we going to see the unseen? That's what we're supposed to do. The things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We're supposed to see eternity. That's the principle in Scripture. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. It's not what you can see, but it's what you don't see that will get you in trouble. Hmm? Eve could tell us what she saw, but she couldn't tell us what she couldn't see. Achan told us explicitly what he saw. But if he could have seen the unseen, he never would have made that choice. Samson and David, they could tell us what they saw. If they could have seen the unseen, they would have never gone down those roads. Hebrews 11, verse 24. Moses. By faith, Moses... When he was come to years, I read this passage of scripture and I just marvel at the choices that he makes. No church brought up in an Egyptian home, in the palace, a person of privilege, no needs physically, and he makes these choices. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Wish we could get into all that. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, 
For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Notice verse 27. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured, how? As seeing him who is invisible. He saw the unseen. (laughs) How do you see the unseen? Well, it's real clear. God's got to open your eyes to it. How does God open your eyes to it? Well, you've got to know what God thinks about it to begin with. When you go through life, looking at life through the lens of God's Word, that's going to take care of a lot of it. When Job was going through his trials, he was looking at it through God's Word and made it through. It is the corrective lens that helps us to see what God is doing and why He's doing it. But it keys, I think, upon the heart. Preacher hit on it Sunday. A problem with giving really is not with how much you have or your desire to give. It starts in the heart. We know that to be the case. Psalm 119 verse 18 is the prayer of the psalmist who knew he had a problem with vision. And he says, Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. He says, I could read your word, but Lord, if you don't open my eyes to what you have in there for me, it's not going to work. Our heart has to be right. Didn't, Didn't he say to Samuel, I don't look like man. I don't see as man seeth. A man looks on the outward appearance, but God looketh where? On the heart. Heart's got to be right. We've got to be seeking God. Wanting to know what God wants us to do. And be committed to doing it before we even know. And boy, when we get in His Word, He will open it up. He will guide us. He will lead us. He will open our eyes to that which is going on. My wife Tracy has trouble with her vision. It's the very opposite of mine. She is, she can see far off, but up close she can't see anything. Over the course of just about any day, I'll have something or want to show her something or a piece of paper or read something in the paper or show her something on my phone and I will take it to her. I'll say, hey, Trace, did you see this? Look. She starts doing this, you know. I can't read it. Where's my glasses? I said, where's your glasses? Are you talking about the pair In there by your nightstand? The pair on the bathroom sink? The pair in my office? 
the pair on the kitchen counter, the pair by the lamp table, the pair on the back porch, or the pair on your head. <laughs> Any of those will do. But she takes them and puts them on. She knows she has a problem seeing. So she won't even look until she puts her glasses on. I thought, what an example for us spiritually. Before I try to make this decision, I better put my glasses on. Before I get upset and retaliate, I better put my glasses on. Before I give up in disgust because of the difficult circumstances I'm dealing with, I'd better get my glasses on. Before I try to figure out this problem I'm dealing with and the best solution, I'd better get my glasses on. Because I want to see it clearly. Not the way that is logical and sensible and is within reason and what anybody else would do. But I want to deal with it the way God wants me to deal with it. And if I don't see it right from God's perspective, there's no way I can deal with it right. Flip over to chapter 12. We're out of time. Go through all the heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11 and we get to chapter 12, verse 1. He says, Wherefore, what? Seeing. When you got your glasses on, here's what you can expect. We also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. We are spiritually motivated. Lay aside, let us lay aside every weight and sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. When we're not wearing our glasses, we're not willing to lay aside things that hinder us spiritually. We're not willing to confess our sin and forsake it. We don't want to be involved in the race, and we certainly don't want to run. We're content just to be a spectator. It's like children of Reuben and Gad. We lose patience in this race. Patience with other people, with fellow church members, with serving, with people who are unfaithful, with all that's wrong with the church. With leadership and why they aren't doing this. And if they ought to be taking care of this matter. Where's your glasses? Huh? Where's your glasses? If you don't have your glasses on. You're not going to see. The way God wants you to see. 
And may I say we're going to end up just like the children of Reuben and Gad. I don't want to be engaged. I like it just the way it is. This is perfect. Don't disrupt me. (laughs) And you'll sacrifice the blessings that God has for you in the promised land to keep what you got. Don't let that be us. Don't let that be you. Let's get our glasses on. And realize that Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, we start losing those things. It's because we're not seeing properly. We're not seeing properly because we're not looking through the corrective lens of God's Word. Get in the Word. Yield to God. Learn to see the invisible. To hear His Spirit speak to you. It's great that Brother Jeremiah, our preacher, has a vision for the church. But you've got to have that vision. You've got to put the glasses on. And when you do with a surrendered heart, God's going to show you where and how you're supposed to be engaged. But you've got to get those things right. And keep them right. Where's your glasses? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much.